the latest from 7 News with Angela Cox. Good evening and welcome to the latest on the war in Ukraine. Tonight we take an in-depth look at the Russian invasion. It's day 20 of the war with concerns growing in the US about China's potential involvement. Tonight we're live to our reporter in Ukraine with the latest developments. We'll also hear from a retired Australian Major General on Russia's strategy and our finance editor takes a look at the impact of the West sanctions. First, let's look at the current advances by Russia. On the ground, the Russian forces have four primary efforts. The areas in red are where US experts believe Russian troops have seized control of Ukrainian territory, including regions occupied before the February invasion. In the northeast, fierce shelling continues as Russia tries to reclaim Kharkiv. They're carrying out brutal assaults in Mariupol, reportedly with the support of thousands of Chechen soldiers. In the country's south, Ukrainian troops are repelling Russia's attempts to advance to the west from Kherson. But the main priority for the Kremlin, Kyiv. The Russians are hoping to seize the capital by encircling the city from the northwest, west and east. Jeff Parry is in Lviv for us. Jeff, there have been fresh blasts in Kyiv. Yes, that's right, Angela. The attack came about 5.30 in the morning, so it was uh, dark at the time. People in the centre of the city weren't sure whether that was incoming fire or outgoing fire, but when daylight came, it became clear that there were Russian missile attacks on uh, civilian apartment buildings. They hit and destroyed, or largely destroyed, three of them. One was still on fire a couple of hours later. Two people were killed, 27 people had to be rescued. It's the closest that the attacks have come to the centre of the city uh, since the Russians sort of take, took up positions around, around Kyiv itself, the capital. But it's still unclear what the Russians plan to do and how they plan to take Kyiv, whether, like other cities across Ukraine, they ring it with Russian troops and then just lay waste to huge uh, areas of civilian populations and start targeting government buildings. Uh, if they try to send troops in, uh, it would be a bloodbath. The Ukrainians or the people in Kyiv have turned that city into a fortress. They've distributed something like an extra 20,000 uh, rifles and guns to the civilian population. They're well dug in, they're well supplied and as I said, if the Russian troops uh, try to get into the city, it will be a bloodbath, Ange. There are fears the besieged city of Mariupol could be wiped out. We've seen dramatic pictures out of there today. Yes, you wonder how long that, that city can last. A couple of days ago it was described by the Red Cross as apocalyptic. I mean, we've seen some dreadful scenes out of that. I think imprinted on most people's minds is that, uh, that heavily pregnant woman who was being stretched out of a maternity hospital after the Russians bombed it. Uh, she later died along with her child. Uh, so, you know, they're under uh, terrible conditions there and that's only getting worse. There was a little bit of good news, Angela, a, a convoy, a private convoy of about 150, 160 vehicles did, make, did manage to make it out of the city, but there's still something like 320,000 people still stuck there. Uh, attempts to get them out have been refused by the Russians. They keep shelling what would have been humanitarian convoys. It's just too dangerous to get them out. And the other aspect of this is the privations that, that they're undergoing. I mean, there are aid convoys ready to go in and provide that city with food and water but it seems uh, the Russians uh, central aim in a part of the as, as well as trying to destroy the city is perhaps to starve those people to death if they don't kill them first. And break Angela. their spirit. Uh, US President Joe Biden is set to travel to Europe for NATO talks. Yes this has been suggested today. Um, it kind of makes sense uh, given 
the latest move uh, of the Russians to bomb that, um, that military facility just inside Poland. So it's likely that uh, Biden will go there next week and meet with, uh, with uh, NATO chiefs, uh, perhaps particularly to, to uh, smooth the nerves of Poland which are looking at, uh, at this latest attack on the Yarovov military base uh, just outside their borders. Um, uh, NATO has been quite strong, and Biden has said that NATO has been quite strong in, uh, in, in combining as, a, as an opposing force to, uh, to Vladimir Putin, and uh, I'm sure he's just trying to sort of galvanise them uh, with his appearance uh, next week. And what is the feeling where you are in Lviv? Do residents there feel like Russian troops are getting closer? Um, well, they've been uh, they've been fairly relaxed about the whole thing. I think until that bombing of the Yarovov uh, um, military base, which is about uh, 30 kilometres from here, and it's closer to the Polish border, so it's between here and the Polish border, and that's made a lot of people nervous. There's already a lot of nervous people in the city. It's been a hub for those people coming from the east, from uh, towns like uh, Kharkiv, uh, Kiev, when they've been able to get out um, to come west. They're fleeing the country. They've had to leave their men behind, but women taking their children to safety. Uh, a lot of them are staging here before going on to Poland and some of those other countries uh, for refuge. Um, but the local population itself, uh, they, I think, now starting to realise, obviously they've been watching what's going on in the east, but they are now starting to realise that uh, Putin uh, appears to be intent on taking the whole of the country. He's been able to fire missiles uh, very, very deeply into, into, uh, into Ukraine, so uh, no one is really out of touch. I mean, this is unknown about chemical weapons. So there's a lot of things now weighing on the mind of people in what had been a sort of a previously untouched city uh, like Lviv. Uh, now it's, it's come into the mix and people are, have got emotional and, and sort of, you know, really good reasons to start wondering whether they're going to stay or whether they're going to leave. I guess and a lot of people wondering if there's anywhere that's safe. OK, thanks so much, Jeff Parry. Putin's army has been plagued by logistical issues and low morale. I'm joined from Canberra by retired Australian Army Major General and author of War Transformed, Mick Ryan. Thanks for joining us, Mick. I want to get your thoughts on the Russian strategy so far. Well, the Russians have had a few strategies so far. Their plan A was a fast, cheap and easy rapid assault on Kiev to capture the capital and force a political accommodation from the Ukrainian government. That didn't work. So plan B has been the slow grinding attrition towards Kiev across the south and in the east. That hasn't worked. So now they've decided to pummel Ukrainian cities to try and force some kind of political accommodation. Are you surprised by the amount of resistance we've seen from the Ukrainians? Well, I think everyone's been surprised, not just at the poor performance by the Russians, but just how masterful the Ukrainians have been at defending their country. Uh, they've run a great strategy in chipping away at the Russians all the way through this war. They are starting to bleed the Russians white. Mm, they're gutsy as hell. Why are Russian forces failing to make the gains they expected? Has Putin completely miscalculated this war? Well, Putin's assumptions going into this war were that Ukraine wasn't a real country, that Ukrainians would roll over quickly and that the West wouldn't unify behind Ukraine. All three of those assumptions were wrong. And from that has uh, come every single military mistake in this war so far. Residential areas are being increasingly targeted by Russian shelling and airstrikes. Is this a sign of panic from the Kremlin, do you think? Well, in some respects, it's just the Kremlin rolling out an old playbook. They've done this in Chechnya before. They've done this in Syria. 
Um, but it is also a sign that they are desperate. This has been a very unsuccessful military campaign for them. And their thoughts are, I guess, that if they terrorise Ukrainians enough, they may come to the negotiating table. Do you think at this rate they will be able to take Kyiv? Um, I doubt that. Quite frankly, the Russians don't appear to have enough forces in the country to be able to surround it, let alone seize it. Now, even though in seizing Kiev they will only go for key points, it will be an enormously destructive and bloody fight where thousands of Ukrainian civilians and Russian and Ukrainian soldiers would die. We've seen captured Russian soldiers put up in front of the media um, saying that they didn't know what they were going into, they, they didn't know the war that they were fighting. Um, some of that could be Ukrainian propaganda, I guess. What do you think? Do you think morale really is low and do you think that's part of the problem for the Russians? Well, I think we've seen a great contrast between the Ukrainian and Russian purpose. I mean, the Ukrainians are defending their countries. They like democracy and don't think the Russians have anything to offer them. On the other hand, the Russian soldiers that have crossed the border over the last couple of weeks don't appear to have any great purpose. And in fact, many of them were misled by their officers about what they were doing and where they were going in the first place. Is this the Russian army in full flight? Is this as good as they can give or have they got more soldiers in reserve back there waiting to come in? Well, they've committed about 55% of their regular ground forces for this campaign already. That is a large proportion of their army. Uh, to compare that with the Americans at the height of their Iraq campaign, they never had an about uh, more than about 20 to 24 per cent of their ground forces committed. The Russians are overstretched um, and they're really going to have to pull something out to portray this as any kind of success, but even then that's going to be very difficult. There are reports that Russia has reached out to China seeking help. Um, what assistance would Beijing likely provide, if any, weapons? Well, it's an interesting question because many Chinese weapons and munitions are derivatives of Russian systems in the first place. So they may be able to provide precision munitions with the Russians, I think, would be running short of. But they may be able to provide some basic spare parts and ammunition that the Russians would also need as part of this campaign. Uh, further down the track, depending on how long this war goes, there may be other things the Chinese wish to provide. How would China's potential involvement change the West strategy? Well, it's interesting, isn't it? I mean, the United States has had some fairly frank discussions in the last 48 hours with China about uh, busting the sanctions regime that the uh, international community has assembled over the last two weeks and about offering support to a nation that has illegally invaded a democracy that's its neighbour and is currently killing uh, civilians wantingly. Um, I don't believe the US or the international community would look kindly on the Chinese supporting that. Well, do you think that there's any way China would? I mean, what could they possibly have to gain if they get the same sort of sanctions that are being imposed on Russia? That's a lose-lose, isn't it? Well, Russia is a massive energy source and the Chinese appreciate that. But they're also looking at lessons further down the track for their People's Liberation Army. I mean, the Chinese have been very explicit about their designs on the young democracy of Taiwan, 180 kilometres offshore from China. Um, they will be looking at the lessons of this campaign for what the People's Liberation Army might be able to learn from it. So, I guess, worst case scenario, Russia and China team up against the rest of the world. What does that mean? Does that, is, that a, is that World War III and who comes out on top?
Well, I don't think we're close to that at this point in time. The Russians and the Chinese, uh, just a little over a month ago, did have a joint announcement on partnering in different areas. But it would also be fair to say that the Chinese have looked on with a little bit of embarrassment at the brutality and the incompetence of the Russians over the last couple of weeks. I don't think we're anywhere close to some grand alliance where they're going to take on the rest of the world at this point in time. Oh, that's a relief. Uh, do you see any chance of peace talks working uh, with Ukraine and Russia, or will this war just drag on? Unfortunately, I think the Russians are going to drag this out. Any offer of negotiations at this point in time from the Russians really will just be to allow their military forces to pause, regroup and then commence advancing at a later point. So how does this all end? Well, I think this has some way to go and it will end when both sides are too tired to keep fighting. That's some way off yet. Do you think there's any chance that the Russian troops will just say, no, we're not doing it anymore, Putin, and he gets overthrown from within? Well, he is certainly going to come under increasing domestic pressure. He didn't level with the Russian people before this war and still trying to hide many aspects of it from his own people. But he will not be able to hide the increasing number of coffins of the young Russian soldiers who will be coming home in their hundreds and indeed probably in their thousands. That will put huge pressure on Putin and over the coming days and weeks his frustration will lead to uh, the military forces in Ukraine being more brutal and more destructive. Does that pressure matter, do you think? Oh, absolutely it does. I mean, every autocrat has to look over his shoulder at some point. He does need people to support him in power. So the pressure that he will get from the Russian people, and indeed probably from people in senior government and military positions, um, he will have to respond to that in some way. OK, thanks so much for your insights. We really appreciate it. Major General Mick Ryan. Thank you. They are lying to you. That's the message a Russian TV employee wanted to share as she staged an incredible protest against Putin's invasion of Ukraine live on air. As a news broadcast was underway on a state-run channel, the editor jumped in the background with a sign shouting, Stop the war. Earlier, the employee had released a video saying she was ashamed to have worked for Kremlin propaganda. She was arrested shortly after and taken to Moscow police station. Her actions have been praised around the world, including by the Ukrainian president. And that's employees marking their last shift working at a McDonald's store in Russia. This video reportedly filmed in St. Petersburg, symbolizing the dramatic exit of American corporations in the country. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive set of offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. The West's key attempt to stop this war is through the use of crippling sanctions. Network Finance Editor Gemma Acton is here to take us through the impact being felt in Russia. Gemma, uh, one of the biggest sectors being targeted is also one of Russia's main sources of revenue. 
It is, Ange, and that's energy, so oil and gas. Uh, Russia is actually the world's third largest producer of oil, and the extent to which countries can target Russia with sanctions depends on how much they rely on Russia for their energy needs. So the US is the world's largest producer of oil. It has very little dependence on Russia, so it was quite easily able to implement uh, sanctions against Russia. Uh, Australia has very little reliance on Russian oil either. We rely much more heavily on Asia and the Middle East, uh, whereas Europe is a very different story. 40% of its natural gas does come from Russia and around a quarter of its oil. So it's looking at 2030 before it thinks we'll be able to phase out its reliance on Russia. The UK a bit of a mixed picture, they're saying, by the end of the year. Yeah, Germany really resisting. Um, tell us about another target, the country's financial system. Yes, so uh, this is really an attempt to economically isolate uh, Russia, but also to stop the amount of money that Putin has at his disposal to fund his continued invasion of Ukraine. One of the biggest uh, elements here is the freezing of foreign exchange reserves. There's almost 900 billion Australian dollars worth of reserves, and some of those have been frozen, a large amount, not all of them. And this has many implications. Firstly, it's money that can't be used. Uh, secondly, it can't be used to repay debt. Uh, so we're looking at potential defaults in the, in the very near term for Russia. That hasn't happened since 1998. Uh, it can't be used to help the ruble. The Russian ruble has fallen by around 30% against the US dollar just in the last couple of weeks. It's now worth less than one US cent. Uh, and if we're looking at other financial implications, certain Russian banks um, have been blocked out of the SWIFT system, which is the international transfer system. So what that really means is it's just a lot more cumbersome for these banks to send and receive money around the world. Of course, individuals have also been blacklisted. What about the corporate world? We've seen global companies pulling out of Russia. Will that make a difference? Well, this is really targeted at consumers. Uh, much of the media in Russia is controlled um, by the state, uh, so not necessarily getting a, a broad view of what's, what's happening. It's much harder to disguise when you see McDonald's restaurants closing or you suddenly can't access Netflix anymore or you can't buy an Apple phone. And it's really major brands. If we think back a couple of decades to Cold War times, many older Russians would have seen this before, not being able to access international brands. It's a different story for younger Russians who've grown up with equal access to, to these iconic and, and global brands. So we'll see the impact this had. I, I think that in many ways it's going to just uh, make the real Putin devotees dig in harder mm. and think, well, we don't want these Western brands anyway. But it will be a big transition for people who rely very heavily on Western products. Yeah, we've heard a lot about sanctions against oligarchs living in the UK. Is that going to make a difference, do you think? Well, it makes for great TV, doesn't it, seeing <laughs> yachts being seized. Uh, and so it, it is big news, uh, but not necessarily for the reasons uh, to do with Ukraine, the war on Putin. And um, this has been an ongoing issue for a long time. Certain cities, uh, particularly London is a good example, being seen as some sort of laundromat through which dirty money washes and uh, is used to buy up very expensive properties or other types of assets, art, for example. Uh, this shows that sanctions can be put on oligarchs uh, and are being put on oligarchs and it's not just Russian oligarchs there's all sorts of money washing from all sorts of places will it actually affect Putin and Ukraine uh, not so likely we've seen Putin lean very heavily on the top brass and military and intelligence circles rather than these really westernized oligarchs recently uh, so we doesn't look like it's going to affect him too much from that point of view, but interesting from a tax perspective about whether this will uh, enforce more of a crackdown. Yeah, very interesting. Okay, thanks so much, Jim. Thanks, Angela. I'm Angela Cox. Thank you for your coming.